And um, <laughs> a few years ago, I guess it's, I say a few years ago, it's been over a decade ago now, I guess, I had tooth problems with one of my back teeth and I had to get a root canal. And uh, I was given a root canal for free by the dentist, which should have been my first sign that it probably wasn't going to be a permanent solution to my tooth problem. Just a word of warning on the free root canal. It sounds good now. Um, but a few years later, I started noticing that it was kind of, it was on my back teeth, it was kind of loose and kind of wiggly. And I thought, oh, the crown just needs to be reset on there. So I went to the dentist. It kind of started hurting after a while. And uh, they took x-rays and the dentist came out and she sat down and she asked me, she said, does it feel squishy inside your tooth? And I said, you know, now that you say that, yes, it does. It feels quite squishy on the, on the inside. And what was going on inside my tooth was far less stable than what was happening on the outside of my tooth. The insides didn't match the outsides. And our passage this morning is really about how is it the case that the inside of our lives, what we think and feel, our internal narrative, can actually match our lives, the, out, the outward focus of our lives. And what do we do when on the outside we seem solid and on the inside are quite, are quite squishy? Really, it's a question of integrity. How do I act the same? How am I the same person inside and outside? How am I the same person no matter who I am with? Because I think each of us longs to be an integrated person that is in some ways always the same. How do, how do we live a life that is solid all the way through? Our text is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. Uh, if you're holding a Bible, it's kind of in the middle. You'll find the Psalms, and then the book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom, is right after. So let's uh, turn our attention and ask you to hear uh, and give your attention to this because it is the word of the living God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I'm going to pray and ask God um, to meet with us, to speak to us. And before I pray, I want us to give a moment of silence um, uh, before I invite you to sort of pray, pray with me. Uh, our Lord, uh, in the silence of our lives, uh, you speak, and you are there with us. Lord, you made each of us out of your love and beauty. I thank you for these sisters and brothers that are gathered together here in person or watching online. I praise you that you know each of us, and Lord, you know us deeply inside. You know more about us than we could ever know about ourselves and so, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. You would speak um, to those deep places within us by your word. Lord, we long to be people that have the freedom to be who we are all the time. And we pray, Lord, that you would show us the way to do that through our hypocrisy and our insecurity to life and to integrity. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So if we're going to talk about integrity, being people of integrity, being people whose lives are consistent outside and inside, no matter who, we with, who we're with, I think first we have to acknowledge 
that hypocrisy is very real. Um, if you know me, you, you may know enough of my story to know I did not become a Christian or a religious person or go to church or anything like that until I was an adult. And when I was growing up, um, I had a lot of uh, just skepticism um, of religious people. One of the big criticisms that, that religious people get, especially Christian people, is that we are hypocrites, that we're, we're hypocritical people. Um, we say we believe one thing and then we act differently, and it's a very true and fair criticism. Um, part of the reason why I was skeptical and sort of hardened to faith was because um, when I was growing up, uh, my mom was a single mom. She raised me um, herself. She was extremely strong, conscientious, worked hard, and church was not part of the rhythms of our life. Um, but we had a family member that would often call my mom, and uh, they were a church-going person. And, you know, he would say, you got you to gotta get that boy in church. You know, and he would kind of give my mom grief, grief about it. And it frustrated me because she was, like, doing her best. And so I felt like she was sort of above criticism. But it hardened me because I knew this person well enough to know that they were not a great father by any stretch of the imagination. And that actually the way that he was making his living was um, by exploiting the poor, by taking advantage of those in poverty to make his living. And I was like, I don't know a lot about Jesus, the Jesus that you follow, but I, I feel like I've heard some, him saying some things about caring for the poor and how that's like an important part of your life if you follow him. And his hypocrisy hardened me to the idea of even knowing Jesus at all. And in reality, religious people are fairly hypocritical uh, if we take a look at our lives. But at some point I had this horrible realization that what I said that I believed in my life or the standards that I had for myself, I routinely struggled to meet them. And I realized something about myself, which you've maybe realized about yourself, which is your character, how you act, how you live your life, really doesn't depend so much on what you believe or what your values are, but on the people that are around you. Uh, we generally change how we are depending on who is around us. I, I heard this time and time again when I was doing campus ministry uh, at Appalachian, Go Nears, Otis, thank you, with the, for the app mask. Um, and people, for the first time, would choose a roommate to live with. And they would meet someone. Um, I think, it, by the way, just a motto for life, it's really difficult to live with someone that you're not related to. Um, if you're related, then you have, like, something that you can hold on to together. And if you're not related, then it doesn't often go that well. But someone would meet someone in their chemistry lab, and they would be their chemistry lab partner, and they're like, this person is amazing. Like, they like the same music as me. We get along great. Let's live together. And I'm inside, I'm like, oh, no. Um, because what happens is you spend all your day going to class or you know, going to work or whatever, and then you come home at the end of the day, and you've been keeping up a facade. And you just can't keep it up anymore when you get home and you become the person that never does the dishes or lashes out or whatever. And so many times I feel like people are saying, I just wish I could go back to being chemistry lab partners. I liked us better when we were chemistry lab partners. Um, because who we are depends on who's around us. You know, people often say, you know, I, I, I just want someone that's going to be real with me. Tell me how they really feel, what they really think. And if you're like me, um, in your inner life and the way that you think about people inside your head and the way that you process things, uh, please do not be real with me. Um, please be as fake as you could possibly be um, when, we, when we interact because the real thing that's going on in there is often pretty scary. Um, and uh, when, when we were there in, in Boone, 
we, our family lived in a house and uh, one of our students named Liz lived in our basement. And I, when I would have a low moment with my children, I might be yelling at my kids. Admittedly, what was going through my head isn't, how am I shaping their futures as their father? What was really going through my head is, I wonder if Liz can hear me yelling at my kids right now. Um, and knowing that she could hear me actually tempered my, my behavior. How we live mostly depends on who is around, and we will act how we need to, usually, to ensure that they will approve of us and affirm us until we just can't keep it up anymore. Uh, honestly, I know, I know many uh, of you are uh, passionate about caring for the poor or for working for justice for the oppressed. Um, I think sometimes, though, if we, if we could... Uh, get the praise and people be think well of us as being people that care about the poor and care about the oppressed, but we never actually had to do any of the work, then I think generally we'd be pretty satisfied with that, you know, that we were thought well of. And Jesus um, was, pretty, was pretty clear when he talked to people um, who had a great outward facade. Um, he knew what was inside of them. And I think we often think about Jesus as this kind teacher, but he had some pretty harsh words to say. This one time he was This is in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. He was encountering these religious people at a dinner, and they had this whole ceremony of washing their hands, this ritual, the religious rite of washing their hands. And um, Jesus didn't do that ritual before he he came to eat. By the way, you should wash your hands. My wife was very concerned that if I told this story that you would walk away thinking, Jesus says you don't have to wash your hands. But please do wash your hands. Um, They didn't have soap then either, so you're really just moving the germs around. Anyway, um, he didn't do this like religious ceremony before they ate. And so all these guys come at, come at him and they start to criticize him for not being religious enough. And he told them, he's like, you know what you're like? You're like a cup. And it's really nicely washed on the outside. But on the inside, it's full of greed and wickedness. That's like, ugh. He said, and then he went even further. He said, you know what you're like? You're like an unmarked grave. People are like playing, they're kicking the soccer ball, they're enjoying the beautiful grass, and they don't know that underneath the surface is full of rotting bones. Um, People walk right over and they don't notice. And I, when I first started encountering the Bible, I felt great resonance with that. Just this reality that what's inside is often quite yucky, and that how I'm acting really is just about getting the approval of those around me, that I was a hypocrite. And uh, I had this friend at the time, and she... I talked to her about this, and she said, you know, the church is full, full of hypocrites. And she's like, good news is I think we have room for one more. And uh, I felt very invited by that. So, um, and we do. We have several more spaces for more. Um, so the question is, I think, I think with just a, a minimal amount of self-awareness, we can realize that we're pretty in, um, inconsistent people. So what do we do about that? How do we turn from hypocrisy, to live lives of integrity. And part of what the writer of this proverb is sharing with us is that there are two different turns you could make. It's sort of a fork in the road. And there's a wrong turn, but then there's also a healing turn. So what's the, what's the, the wrong turn? If we, if we look there in the passage, you know, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Then later on, be not wise in your own eyes. Um, the motto of our, of our time, I think that all of us just, we understand and that's how we operate, is that what's re- most important is to be yourself. Is to know who you are on the inside and be consistent with who you are on the inside. 
part of the way that we've gotten that story, I am a huge Disney lover. Um, somebody asked me if we we're just going to get all Disney references all summer because our other pastor is on vacation, and the answer is no. But um, today you are because I'm going to Disney World on Wednesday, and it's on my mind, all right? So um, I believe that heaven is real when I'm at Disney World. That's why I love it. And you may say, but it's just the height of consumerism. And I'm like, we live in the height of consumerism every single day. At Disney, they do it really good, and it's really satisfying. Okay? So, um, but we're going. I can't wait. I believe that spiritual forces are real when I'm there, that there's a place. Anyway, um, but if you watch Disney movies through the 80s and 90s and sort of the golden era of, of those Disney movies until Pixar became a thing in, in the life of Disney, all the storylines basically fit the same mold, which was the main character was born in a way that they were given an identity by their family or by their tribe or by their culture, but they had this inner voice inside, this, this heart, and they, they, they decided to follow their heart and to actualize what was really inside them and listen to that voice, you know, Hakuna Matata. You know, yeah, sure, maybe you're supposed to be the king of the Pride Lands, but, you know, no worries. Uh, Ariel actually, you know, it's like she doesn't even want to be a mermaid, you know, like uh, her, her, her heart leads her out of that. Interestingly, in most of those Disney stories, when you follow your heart and find real flourishing, it meant that you found a man who gave you reason for living, which is problematic to the extreme. Um, but, you know, Mulan, who is one of my great heroes and one of my favorite Disney characters, because she's really fighting against something that, um, that for the right to honor her father, but, you know, she, when she sings a song, she looks down in the pool and she says, when will my reflection show who I am inside? That there's this person inside of me that I need to bring out to bear to the world. And this passage is actually saying that turning inward and finding that thing, really following your heart, is kind of the worst thing that you can do if you want to be like a person of integrity. If you want to be a consistent person. I know that sounds crazy to us, but I think there's a lot of freedom in this. You know, he says, don't lean on your own understanding. That's like a resting word. Like right now, y'all are resting on these chairs. You're allowing these chairs to hold your weight, and you're confident that they're going to hold you. You're really expressing faith in these chairs and living out of faith in the chairs. And he's saying, don't lean, rest, have faith in your own understanding of your ability to put all the pieces together. Later on in Proverbs, the writer says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. I don't think there's anything that sounds crazier to, to, to me in the moment that we live in that you shouldn't trust your own mind. But what they're saying is have a healthy skepticism of your ability to really understand what's going on. Um, you know, I've had the privilege in my life of knowing many people who struggle with substance addiction, um, many people who are in recovery, many people who continue to struggle. And those folks are among the wisest people that you will ever meet. Because people who struggle with addiction recognize that you can't always trust yourself. That there may be narratives that are happening inside of you that would actually, if you followed them, would lead to your own destruction. Our hearts are deceitful. At best, they're confusing. And we're far too prone to trust them and follow them. And here's why that can be really dangerous for us. Um, I know we have many seniors in our midst, people that are graduating from high school, people that are graduating from college. Congratulations, by the way, you did it. People that are graduating from medical school. Hey now, Kate Kane. Um, and I want you to think about when you started your freshman year to where you end up now, 
how much you have changed, not just your outward appearance, but have changed on the inside. How much the things that you really thought about or cared about or were interested in have changed over that time. Or even this, like for all of us over COVID. You know, COVID has been this, we've, this collective trauma that we're experiencing together. But it's changed all of our inner lives and our inner values, how we think about people. You know, if, if, like a year ago, if you walked into the bank with a mask on, you were a threat. You know, now if you walk into the bank with the mask off, you're a threat, you know. It's like somebody just wants to stop you at the door every time you're coming in the bank um, about your mask. Um, our insides are always dynamic and changing and tumultuous. And so the question for us is how can we trust that inner voice to follow our heart when it changes so often? What gives us confidence that we can trust that voice? Uh, the Scripture says that we trust something based on the fruit that it produces. And has the fruit of your internal life produced something stable enough to build an existence upon? Uh, mine hasn't. One, of, I think, of the great gifts that followers of Jesus have to offer the world, especially in this moment that we're in, is to have a healthy, non-anxious suspicion of yourself. To really, to not be anxious or insecure about it, but just to be suspicious of your ability to line everything up just right. I've seen so many people, including myself, the last year feel like I see the dots on the page and I know exactly how to connect them all and to make all the right conclusions and I never have to ask anybody if my conclusions are right. Problem is we turn out to be wrong a lot, a lot of the time. One of the great gifts that we can offer is to have a healthy non-anxious suspicion of our ability to really understand what's going on. And how different would the last year have been if we hadn't been so sure all the time of exactly what was going on. So the wrong turn that the writer of the Proverbs is saying to us is to, tr is to lean and rest upon your own understanding. That if we're going to look inside to be consistent, that's why, exactly why we're going to be so inconsistent and hypocritical. And what God calls us to instead is to this healing turn. To a turn in which we find our goodness not within ourselves, but find it in Him. To lean not on ourselves, but to lean instead on God. And what the writer is saying is, if that happens, then your insides will begin to match your outsides. The squishy parts on the inside will begin to be firmed up and solid and good. Look again at the passage. The writer says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust the Lord with everything in you. All the inward parts. To lean, lie upon Him. Rest on Him like you're resting upon these chairs. Basically what he's saying is, let God tell you who you are. Uh, and we, we trust God and don't lean on our un, on understanding. One of the ways that we do that is not just to rest on Him for our goodness, but to rest on his word. You know, God has spoken to us in our lives. In some ways, it feels inauthentic to our souls to say, I'm going to trust what God says in the word about who I am and, who the world, and what the world is like. It feels like that's the worst thing that we could do. Uh, yet he invites us into it, even when we don't understand it, even when following his word feels impossible to us. We're actually beginning to make headway toward a consistent life of integrity. And you may have questions about the Bible and the Word and all that, and this is a great community for you to begin to wrestle through all those things as we all are together. But then he goes on to say in verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge Him. He's saying acknowledge Him in everything. 
have a perspective that God is real and active in everything that you do. That if, you're, if your behavior is going to be modified by the people around you, to invite God into that circle and to imagine um, him being with you and in you and everything. And then in verse 7, don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord. That doesn't mean to be afraid of God. It means to recognize God in his immensity, that he is of a completely different scale than we are. And then he says, you know what will happen? I love this in verse 8, and this is a promise and an invitation. These aren't just words. This is an invitation into life. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It will be medicine to us. It will heal you. Um, a few years ago, as we all know now, because we all consume the same stories, um, uh, Tiger Woods' private life became very public. And um, one of the conversations that was, what was going on in that time is Tiger going to lose his Nike endorsement. Because Tiger and Nike are pretty synonymous, just like Jordan and Nike were synonymous. And the reality is that sponsors and endorsers and corporations aren't that really interested and what's going on in, in their, uh, their spokespeople's private lives as long as they're able to keep it private. If the facade falls down, if, they, if what goes on behind the closed doors comes out into the public, uh, then it's a problem. Basically, endorsers say, keep the facade and you can keep the endorsement. And for Jesus, it's actually completely different. In some ways, it's really the opposite. That it's actually only when we drop the facade when we recognize the internal hypocrisy of what happens within us, that we win his endorsement. Because what he's inviting us to is actually to a trust in his integrity, in his goodness, to lean and rest upon it. And only by acknowledging that this is all a facade do we begin to be free and liberated to actually trust and depend on what he offers to us. The, Bible, the word for integrity that the Bible would use is goodness. It's being solid. And uh, Jesus is good. Uh, I don't know about you, but I have a minor panic attack whenever someone picks up my phone because it doesn't have a password on it because I hate the password. And this is why a lot of y'all have. Now I have to scan your face. It can scan your face with the mask on. Um, but if anyone picks up my phone, they can, they can look at it. And when people pick it up, there's just that feeling. I'm like, I don't think I'm hiding anything. But like, what was the last thing I looked at on the browser? What was the last thing I said in a text message? What, 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 potentially, what potential embarrassment is going to await me if someone opens my phone and looks at it? And in those moments, I, I like to think to myself, uh, what if someone read Jesus' text? Like, what if someone opened up his phone and looked at his browsing history? Well, what you would find is that the way that he interacted with everyone and with the world was marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In everything he did, whether he was being observed or not in public or in private, whether people were attacking him or affirming him, he was always the because all the way down, he is good and stable. He was always the same no matter who was around. And he actually invites us into life with him to find a stable place. Uh, there's a pastor named Tim Keller who's currently um, 
in a battle with cancer, and it seems like this will be his last battle. Um, pray that the Lord preserves his life. But he wrote a piece in The Atlantic recently, basically talking about how he has been counseling people for decades who are facing mortal illness. And now that he's facing that, he's unsure whether he can take his own advice. And um, I thought it was a beautiful piece, but he made this comment. He said, the first thing I did when I was facing this was to immerse myself in the Psalms. The Psalms are like the prayer book of the Bible. It presents a very complex picture of God, one that often makes us feel a bit uh, uncomfy. And he said, the first thing I did was to immerse myself in the Psalms to be sure that I wasn't encountering a God I had made up myself. Any God I make up will be less troubling and offensive, to be sure. But then, how can such a God contradict me when my heart says that there's no hope or that I'm worthless? Basically, what he's saying is if if I follow a God of my own imagining, then he's not able to contradict me in my most uh, fearful places. When I say there's no hope for me, I'm a worthless person, then God doesn't get to speak anything into your life that could change that in you. But because God is good and consistent and is able to bear the weight of all of our full identity rested on him, we can believe him when he says, like he does in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God's promises can be counted on because God is completely consistent always. There's nothing that's able to stop him from doing what he wants to do. And there's nothing that's able to change what he says is going to happen. If he makes a promise to you and says, I gave up my own son for you, of course I'm going to give you everything else that you need that we can count on it. Integrity is a result of being freed to trust God. To embrace his voice over our inner voice. And that's a lot of what this proverb means when it says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What the the writer isn't saying is if you trust God, he was going to make your life easy. Your life is going to continue like everyone else's to be marked with pain and to be marked by death. But what he's saying is that path will be straight, that you will be able to see where you are going and understand that the destination is not just a beautiful life, but the destination is being closer to him who is stable and good forever. Like I said, all the Disney stories followed a similar storyline until they merged with Pixar. And Pixar really changed the turn from an inward turn where I follow my heart and I bring it out to bear into the world to something completely different. The characters in, in Pixar, Disney Pixar films all start out by following their heart, but eventually find that it's lacking in some way. And they find freedom and wholeness and actually returning to their community and to their true identity and bring what's beautiful inside of them out to bear on an identity with their community. If you've seen Coco, you know, Miguel loves music, but his family hates music, right? So he follows his heart. I'm just going to go be a musician, you know, forget the family. But when, what he discovers through that process is what mattered to him most was mi familia, That's what he comes back to. He brings that love of music and it transforms his family. Or Moana, she's just got to go, go be a voyager. She's got to go do her thing. 
but then she recognizes at the end that what's most important to her is her people. She returns from that voyage to take on her identity as the leader of her people. Elsa, whom I love, this is well documented. You know, she let everything go and it led to a breakdown, but then she found freedom in seeing her sister give herself up for her. Because remember that what it always meant to thrive was to find a man in your life that was going to give you meaning. And the act of true love for Elsa was the act of her sister, her community, her family. But maybe there's no more, now you're like, this is now just a, you know, exposition on Pixar films. Um, maybe most beautifully we see this turn that God is calling us to away from ourselves and into him, into life with each other, in the, in the story of Buzz, of Buzz Lightyear. He believes that he is a space ranger, and his life is never going to be effective because he is, in fact, not a space ranger. He is, in fact, a toy, right? And Woody, at first, is so frustrated with him, but what Buzz finds in the community of toys in Andy's room is a place that will gently but consistently remind him of who he actually is so that over time he embraces that this is who I am. I belong to Andy's room. And later on, when Woody is straying, he, recall, he calls him to look on the bottom of his boot again to see Andy's name, to remind him of his identity. Honestly, y'all, the, the, that can be the church. If Pixar can make the turn away from our inner lives and into a, an embracing of who we are in the world around us, then we can. We can be a place to remind one another again and again and again that God is worthy of our trust and to be invited into freedom. So may you trust in the Lord with all your heart. It will be healing to your flesh and medicine to your bones. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that you invite us into a life that we could hardly ever even imagine on our own. And Lord, um, nothing sounds sillier to us than to be skeptical about that little voice inside of us. But Lord, we all know uh, in our most honest moments um, that we actually don't know the way. And thank you that you offer yourself to us, Lord Jesus, to be our way. And so Lord, help us to trust you, to lean and to rest on you with all of our heart. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.